Our scripture lesson tonight comes in the book of Leviticus, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it upon a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt... When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for, for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood of the horns on the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord, and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull. As he did with the bull of the sin offering, so he shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and he shall be forgiven. 
If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings." And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt. Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt. Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, Then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering, and he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. 
and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the, the, the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. This is the word of the Lord. At the beginning of each of our sermons in this series so far, I've highlighted the opening line of the book, how the Lord called to Moses from the tent of meeting. And he called is actually the Hebrew name of the book, Vayikra. At the end of the book of Exodus, Moses had erected the tabernacle as the place where God would meet with his people. But then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, no one, not even Moses, was able to enter. And so we have the problem of the book of Leviticus. How can man meet with God when God is holy and his presence is unapproachable? How can we ascend the hill of the Lord? So, great choice on the Psalm 24. It's a problem. We got, we got a problem. How do we get into the presence of God? Because God has called and he called. Every, every, time, every time somebody said, turn to the book of Leviticus, it was, and turn to the book of, and he called. Turn to the book of, and he called. Because God is calling. So how has God called? Who may draw near? Just Moses? No. Just the priests? No. Actually, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 2, who did he call? He, called, he said this to Moses. When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, when anyone brings a grain offering. And now in chapter 4, if anyone sins unintentionally. God's call comes to you, to anyone. Now, it's important for us as we look at this to remember that we need to read Leviticus in the light of Christ because otherwise we won't understand Leviticus correctly. But the opposite's also true because if you don't read Christ in the light of Leviticus, you won't understand Christ properly. I mean, just even this time through, going through Leviticus, as, as I saw the ascension offering more clearly for what it is, it helped me see Jesus more clearly. And that's where, as we see what God is doing here, we see more and more of what Jesus came to do. And so even though I realize as we're reading through this, it could, it could be a little challenging to like, 
even keep straight what's going on at what point and how all this fits together. But the book of Leviticus, the book of And He Called, is calling us to see Jesus. Leviticus, God's call from the tabernacle, says that if you would ascend the hill of the Lord, if you would enter into His most holy place, it is only by these offerings that you may come. The ascension offering, ascending to God through the death of the substitute. Ephraim Radner points out that in the, then in the grain offering and in the peace offering, there's a way in which Cain and Abel are reconciled. Think of how, because there's, there was the, the first, you know, sort of burnt offering was the, 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 what was, that was what was, uh, what God did in the, the slaughtering of the animals to give the, 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 the clothing to Cain, Adam and Eve. But in Cain and Abel, you see a grain offering being brought and a peace offering being brought, but Cain's offering was not accepted and Abel's was. Cain brought grain, Abel brought an animal. The offerings of Israel include both. Why? Because when God came in the flesh, he did not say, get your life in order and then I'll accept you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like how Radner puts it. That he is our peace means that he does not bring to us a peace that exists apart from him. He is our peace because coming as he does, he actually reconciles Cain and Abel. It is not as if the two now become pacified, a a smoldering anger quenched like Jacob and Esau. Such pacification is but the shadow of true reconciliation, though it passes for such in a world where difference is seen as radically ingrained in creation. Christ is our peace because the two become one, the one new new man in place of the two, so making peace. The way in which the grain offering and the peace offering, God calls us to, yes, bring grain like Cain did, bring an animal like Abel did, they come together in the offerings of Israel. Last time we looked at the, the burnt offering or the ascension offering, the grain offering or the tribute offering, and the peace offering. These were the foundational offerings in the Old Testament. The burnt offering or the ascension offering was the foundation of the the whole sacrificial system. It's called the ascension offering because the whole animal is burnt. The whole animal, in a sense, ascends up to God in smoke. In, In that respect, God alone consumed the burnt offering by fire, signifying that God alone is the one who is able to bring us to himself. And then both God and the priest consumed the grain offering. The first part was burned in the fire. The rest was eaten by the priest, signifying that we need a mediator who will bring peace with God. And then God, the priest, and the worshiper all consumed the peace offering, signifying the peace that comes through the the sacrifice. Now, we also saw that Leviticus doesn't go into great detail regarding those three sacrifices and what they mean The reason for that was because everybody in the ancient world knew what these sorts of offerings meant. But the sin offering and the guilt offering were different. You don't really see sin offering and guilt offering in the ancient world. And so not surprisingly, we actually get an explanation here in Leviticus about what they're for. Uh, You may have noticed in the previous ones, it didn't explain what they were for. It just said, here's what you do. That's because everybody everybody knew what what burnt offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings did. But... 
what is a sin offering? What is a guilt offering? Well, our text actually gives us a little more explanation of this. Because if you commit certain sins, you have to bring these offerings. This reminds Israel, it's, it's not enough for the priests to offer sacrifices daily. If you have sinned, you need to own your sin and deal with it. And so look, look at how God told Israel to deal with sin. First, we have the sin offering. The sin offering was to be brought when you unintentionally broke God's law. Uh, part of this is because flagrant willful rebellion often re- ends with a person being cut off, which may mean executed in, in, many, in some cases, but not all sin is considered willful. Uh, God's law is an objective standard. You can sin without even realizing it. The sin offering was designed to deal with those sins uh, committed by accident, the, the sins that, that we did not intend to do. Uh, Deuteronomy 19 gives an example of somebody whose axe head flies off and kills somebody. Is he guilty of murder? No, because there was no intent, but he has killed someone. And so he, he has, there is a sense in which he, he, he's not guilty of murder, but he has killed somebody. The God's law of you shall not kill is broken, even though he, it's, the, the law says you're, he's not guilty of murder, he's not to be executed, but you have killed somebody. You're, and actually, when you look at the, the law of the city of refuge, your life will never be the same. You will go to the city of refuge and wait there until the high priest dies. So there's, I mean, if you think about, it's sort of like if you accidentally kill somebody, it's like, okay, my whole life's going to be different now. It's because, it's just, that's, it's a way of dealing with sin. I mean, if you think about what is sin, our catechism says it nicely. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So when the law is broken, a sin has occurred and the sin is the sin offering um, is designed to handle cases of, of of transgression of the law of God that was unintentional. And actually, several of many of the examples are you might say ceremonial in nature. One who has come in contact with a dead body, Numbers 19. One who is recovering from certain sexual discharges, Leviticus 15. One who is recovering from a skin disease, Leviticus 14. When a woman's recovering from childbirth, Leviticus 12. And, and, and I'm sure you're all thinking, whoa, that's, some of those sound really interesting. Yes, we'll, we'll get there. Um, right now, all we're hearing is, here's what you do when you've done that. Now, we'll, 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 when we get there, we'll spend more time talking about why that's important. Likewise, sin offerings were to be brought for the consecration of priests, Leviticus 8, or the consecration of the altar, also Leviticus 8. In such cases, the sinner would bring a, a sin offering or a purification offering, as it's also called. Uh, unlike the burnt offering, the grain offering, or the peace offering, uh, the sin offering also varies depending on the person who sinned. You may have noticed, if it's the priest who sinned, it's, a, it's one thing, or the whole community sins, uh, those, those, two, those two situations, you handle them identically. Because, after all, the priest represents the people, and so whether it's the priest or the people, that's, that's up here in terms of the big problem. If it's a leader, okay, that's, that's, then it costs a bit more than if it's an ordinary person, then it costs a little bit less. 
And then even, and even if you're really poor, there are even ways of you know, making sure that, and so it's, it varies, the, the price of the sin, as it were, depends on the status of the person sinning. You might think, is that really fair? Well, I mean, our larger catechism has a, a, a very thoughtful answer on you know, the question, what are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Because you know, some sins, by reason of several aggravation, are more heinous in the sight of God than others. And so what makes it that? Well, sins receive their aggravations first from the person's offending if they be of riper age, greater experience or grace, eminent for profession, gifts, place, office, guides to others, and whose example is likely to be followed by others. So sins are more aggravated if it's somebody in a position of authority, somebody who's older, supposedly wiser, and now they have sinned. That's, that makes it worse. Also, secondly, from the parties offended. If immediately against God, his attributes and worship against Christ and his grace, the Holy Spirit, his witness and workings, against superiors, men of eminency, and such as we stand especially related and engaged unto, against any of the saints, particularly weak brethren, the souls of them or any other, and the common good of all or many. I mean, you'll, you'll notice that, that answer is, is sort of the aggravation. It could be it's because you've sinned against somebody important, and that makes it worse, or it could be you've sinned against somebody who's helpless, and that makes it worse. <laughs> So it's sort of, it's you know, sort of, sort of the aggravations can can go all sorts of different directions because it's it's really, I mean, obviously any any sin is bad, but what makes it worse? Well, partly who you are, who you have harmed, but then thirdly from the nature and quality of the offense. If it be against the express letter of the law, break many commandments, contain in it many sins if not only conceived in the heart, but breaks forth in words and actions, scandalize others and admit, admit of no reparation, if against means, mercies, judgments, light of nature, conviction of conscience, public or private admonition, don't do it, censures of the church, civil punishments, and if it's against our prayers, purposes, promises, vows, covenants, and engagements to God or men, if done deliberately, willfully, presumptuously, impudently, boastingly, maliciously, frequently, obstinately, with delight, continuance, or relapsing after repentance. You can start seeing, there's, there's a lot of ways <laughs> sins get aggravated. Well, and then also they have a fourth, from circumstances of time and place. If on the Lord's Day, or other times of divine worship, or immediately before or after these, or other helps to prevent or remedy such miscarriages, if in public, in the presence of others who are thereby likely to be provoked or defiled. So when you think about the various aggravations of sin, that's, yes, what makes sin worse? Well, there's, there's all sorts of things. And that's actually, when you, look, when you go through the, the various scripture passages that they cite, you can, you can see all sorts of case studies from throughout the scripture about uh, where, how some sins are more aggravated than others. And Leviticus 4 sets forth four different cases of how the sin offering should be conducted depending on the station of, in life of the person sinning. So in that sense, Leviticus 4 provides a, a case study in, from the parties offending. First, it deals with the transgression of the priest in verses 3 through 12, and then secondly, with the whole community uh, in verses 13 to 21. 
And to a certain extent, these two are, because they're done almost identically, I'll, I'll handle them side by side to see what they, what's going on here. Because as the priest goes, so go the people. He is the representative of Israel who enters the Holy of Holies once every year, bearing the sin of the people upon his breast. So if, if he is not holy, the whole community is not holy. So the ritual for the priest when he sins and the ritual for the whole community are nearly identical. The priest lays his hand on the head of the bull, or in the case of the whole community, the elders of the congregation lay their hands on its head. And here we saw with the, with the burnt offering, there's, there's, a, there's a, a connection of life. And, and particularly here, the picture really is the transfer of sin to the animal. Then the, the animal is slaughtered. The, the blood of the bull is sprinkled seven times before the Holy of Holies. Now you'll, in the later ceremonies for the other, other offending parties, they don't go up to the Holy of Holies. They stay out by the altar of burnt offering. But here, when it's the whole community or when it's the priest, you go into the holy place, you go to the altar of incense and perform the atonement there. This is the very closest the priest will ever get to the Holy of Holies except on the Day of Atonement. And the blood is sprinkled there as a sign that the whole community has been defiled and needed to be cleansed. So when the, if this needs to be done both if the priest sins or if the whole community sins. And then the fat of the bull is burned on the altar of burnt offering. But then notice what happens to the rest. The rest of the animal is taken outside of the camp and burned. Now, if you think about what's the picture here, what did the priest deserve when he sinned? He deserved death. So he is taken outside the camp, symbolically, in the, in the carcass of the bull and burned outside the camp. In the same way, the, the, if the whole community has sinned, then it's as though the whole community is taken outside the camp and burned in the fire. And all executions in, in um, the, the law speaks of must take place outside the camp so that the camp is not defiled by death. The animal is taking the, the sin of the priest or the sin of the whole community upon himself or itself and so must receive the same penalty. That's why Hebrews 13 will say that our Lord was crucified outside the camp. He was the sin offering that cleanses the community from sin. In his case, he is the high priest who doesn't simply send an animal out there. He himself is the sacrifice. He is the sin offering that is taken outside the camp. Now, the, the third instance in verses 22 to 26 is a leader, a chieftain or elder of Israel, and the fourth is of a common person, verses 27 to 35. And the distinction here is the leader must bring a male goat while the commoner brings a female goat. Uh, the male goat would be slightly larger, slightly more expensive. In that sense, the more important the sinner, the bigger the offering. But also notice how the ritual differs for these in place of the other. There's no mention of the sprinkling of blood before the veil. There's no mention of burning the carcass outside the camp. The sin offering for the priest and for the people involves averting the judgment of God upon the whole nation. If the priest or if the community is still in their sin, then God's judgment comes against all Israel. But if one individual has sinned, 
well then their sin as you might say upon themselves the sin offering for the leader or for the commoner is strictly an individual matter and so it's sufficient for the priest to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and actually there's no reference to what happens to the carcass of the animal which suggests that it would be entirely appropriate for the priest to eat this because why would the priest not eat the flesh of the sin offering for himself that's called cannibalism <laughs> i mean if you, if you think about it, i mean that's the, the animal represents the priest so the priest is not going to eat himself and for the whole community again you, I mean, this is this is the the priest is part of that community so there's a way in which but when it's for the for the sake of uh, for, for the leader or for the commoner, it would appear that the meat of the sin offering is eaten by the priest. And notice that in, in all of these instances, except in the case of the sin of the priest, the conclusion of the sin offering includes a declaration of pardon. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 20, verse 26, verse 31. It's why we have a declaration of pardon every Sunday morning. God promises that those who trust in the sin offering will indeed be forgiven. And again, the reason why the priest can't proclaim a declaration of pardon for himself is because he's the one who has sinned. Uh, but in all these sin offerings, Israel is learning that sin must be dealt with. You cannot simply ignore it and hope that sort of the regular sacrifices will take care of it. Sin and impurity must be removed. Uh, you actually see this, especially in the case of the two birds that are offered. One is a sin offering, one is a burnt offering. Did you notice which went first? The sin offering goes first before the burnt offering. Because in order to offer a burnt offering, an ascension offering, so you, where, where the, you, you sort of ascend through the death of the animal to, to the presence of God, well, the problem is there's this sin that's in the way. You can't get to the burnt offering because this sin bars fellowship with God. Sin has to be dealt with. And so the sin must be taken care of before the burnt offering can be offered. Now, in verses 1 to 13, we, we hear of further details about the sin offering and particularly several additional cases that require a sin offering. So we've heard so far about unintentional sins, but also there are sins of, of negligence. And he, so chapter 5, verse 1, you know, when someone fails to speak when there's a public charge, referring to a, a legal setting, somebody hears a witness giving false testimony, and it's like, wait a second, I know that's not true. And you don't say anything. Well, that's, a, that's called sin. <laughs> when you do not speak in a just cause, you have, you have failed to bear true witness. You are practically bearing false witness because your silence is allowing this to go forward. Likewise, in verses 2 and 3, if, if somebody's unaware of touching something unclean, um, Leviticus speaks of this of, as a sin offering after childbirth in chapter 12, infectious skin diseases, chapter 14, unclean discharges, chapter 15, that when someone takes a rash vow, verse 4, either one that he could not or would not keep. There's, well, if, if you're not going to keep your vow, well, now you, you have sworn falsely. You, are, you, you must bring a sin offering. 
And then verses 5 to 13 give extra details on the, 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 the ritual of the sin offering. The first point is that the sinner has to confess his sin. He's not just bringing an offering. and No, he has to say what he did. That when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. This is why we have a public confession of sin every Sunday morning. And that's where it's... it's, it's it's important to recognize that what we do publicly together are not intended to cover every individual sin, but it's designed to set the pattern for us. But as James tells us in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Just as the Old Testament saint would confess his sins to the priest, so also we, if we believe in the priesthood of all believers, should confess our sins to one another. In that sense, all of you are qualified by God to hear each other's confessions. But if you think about, just think, think about how often we commit these sorts of sins. If you're, if you're careless in life, this could add up pretty quickly in the cost. I mean, unlike the burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, these might have to be brought several times a year. And what about the poor? Well, the poor could bring a pair of pigeons or doves. And if he could not afford even a pair of doves, he could bring a tenth of an ephah of fine flour. That's about two quarts. Two quarts of flour. I mean, that's not much. It's not to be confused with the grain offering. It has no oil or incense. It's, in fact, a sin offering, which it's worth noting. I mean, we're used to thinking of, okay, to deal with sin, you need to have blood. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's true. That's the ordinary process commanded by God. But there is one exception to that. For the very poor who can't afford anything, God will forgive their sins even without a blood sacrifice. For the very poor, God is saying, it's, there's, there's no one who is sort of unable to deal with their sin. If you have, if you have sinned, you must come and... And sort of, yeah, be, be reconciled to God. Now, we also read about the guilt offering, which also has to do with unintentional sins. But these have to do specifically with the Lord's holy things. And with your neighbor's things. Did you notice that as we read? Because it talks about with, with God's holy things. This would be, this would be um, if you... If you were, you know, you're supposed to bring the tithe to the Lord. Um, and if you, if in the process of, of, of counting and organizing, you accidentally got things mixed up and you, and, you, and you forgot to bring part, and then you realized it later, you're like, oh, now what do I do? Or, you know, if you're, if you're bringing the grain offering and, you've, and you accidentally left out part, um, then what do you do? Well, so this is, this, but it's worth, it's worth noting that, the penalty, liturgically, for sacrilege and for theft is the same. Stealing from God and stealing from your neighbor are equivalent in, you might say, the liturgical penalty here in, in chapter 5, in, or first part of 6, which is all more, it's all more, more striking considering the gradations given to the sin offering. But here, when it comes to the guilt offering, it's the same whether you're stealing from God or whether you're stealing from your neighbor. 
But if you think about it, God had called Israel, my son, my firstborn, to steal from the Son of God is the same as stealing from God. The sin offering makes distinctions based on the sinner, not the person who was sinned against, and also with the guilt offering. So verses 14 to 19 deal with sacrilege. What happens to those who commit a breach of faith with respect to the holy things? This refers to the various sacrifices. I mean, sure, there's, there's the showbread in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the tabernacle, but the average Israelite's never going to get anywhere near that. So, and, you're, and also, if you did, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unintentional. You'd be in there sort of you know, very willfully stealing it, which is going to result in death. But incidental sins, unintentional sins, would be sins against the tithe, the first fruits, other offerings that might accidentally get mixed up in your regular food supply. So, and those, you, you make restitution for what you have done amiss in the holy things and add a fifth to it. So in other words, if you, whatever amount you failed to bring the first time, you, you bring the correct amount plus another 20%. A fifth is not referring to a, a bottle of scotch, by the way, so... Um, but, um, but so yeah, so basically you're bringing an extra 20% uh, of what you had failed to bring what, the first time because you had uh, got it mixed up. But then, curiously, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 6 deal with a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving or defrauding your neighbor whether through deception, oppression, robbery, finding something that was lost and then lying about it. In any of these cases, the penalty was the same as if you stole from God. You must bring a ram for a guilt offering, and you must restore that which you stole plus an additional 20%. Now, if you're familiar with Old Testament criminal law, you might wonder because like Exodus 22 says the restitution required is double the amount stolen. But this is not the criminal penalty. This is the liturgical penalty. What it looks like is that if you were the one who came as your own accuser and said, I did this, then you make restitution of what you took plus 20%. Whereas if you get caught, then you're going to pay double. So there's an incentive here. Fess up before you get caught. Because... um, and so, so what's, what's the point of all this? We often think of sin as something willful. We often think of it if, if it was an accident, then it wasn't sin. But sin, as our catechism says, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. I mean, if you think about it, any time that we are not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're sinning. Any time we're not loving our neighbors as ourselves, that we're sinning. My unintentional sins far outnumber my intentional sins. That's part of what God is teaching his people in Leviticus 4 and 5, in And the Lord Called, 4 and 5. And, of course, the other part of what God's doing here in Leviticus 4 and 5 is showing us that Christ came to deal with those unintentional sins. In, in fact, if you think about what, what is going on here, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 with perhaps slightly new, tweaked ears, if not fully new ears. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering, the ESV says, and for sin, but the term used is, and for the sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. When you see Christ as the sin offering, you realize that he has paid for all those unintentional sins. If you had to keep track of all your unintentional sins, all the omissions of what you should have done and failed to do, that would be exhausting. But Paul points a different direction. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Because Christ is the sin offering, therefore he deals with all of those sins, and indeed he deals with all sin. And so, if you think about what does, what does Leviticus challenge us to do? Well, deal with your sin up front. Repent before you get caught. <laughs> Say, confess your sins to one another. Practice repentance and forgiveness in your homes Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He is the sin offering and the guilt offering by whose blood we have been cleansed and made clean so that we are no longer slaves to sin and death. We are no longer under the penalty of the law. Thank you, thank you Lord. Thank you for your great mercy to us. Thank you for coming in our flesh. Thank you for bearing in your own body that that the penalty of the sin offering, that you were taken outside the camp and, and killed, that, that through your death you might bring life to your people. Thank you for ascending on high and sitting down at the right hand of your Father that we might come before our triune God with grateful hearts. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you for, for giving to us your Holy Spirit as the down payment and the guarantee of the inheritance that you have promised Jesus, that we might have life and might live abundantly as your children. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us because we, forget, we are forgetful and we can too often fall into those unintentional sins. And too often we are willful in our sins. So... Forgive us, Lord, and grant to us by your Spirit new hearts that love your ways and rejoice in your truth and live according to your peace. Have mercy upon us, we pray, and, and have mercy upon all those who are, 
who are weak and struggling and afflicted, who are enduring trials and temptations and troubles of various kinds. Lord, have mercy. Bring healing to the bodies of those who are weak and helpless. Bring comfort to, to those who are afflicted by discouragement and anxiety and fear. May your, may your light shine into the midst of our darkness that we might see the glory of Jesus in the midst of in the midst of the afflictions that we face, that these light momentary afflictions might truly be for us, the, the preparing for us the eternal weight of glory, that we might see your beloved Son sitting at your right hand. And as we come to this, your table, we pray that you would strengthen and nourish us and feed us with the body and blood of your dear Son. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.